0: Hello everyone, thank you for downloading this podcast and listening to the recording of the webinar that we held on the 11th of August 2020. Um, this webinar is a part of the KZN COVID-19 Churches Respond Project. The project convened by the KZNCC, the KZN Christian Council and it is a broad and inclusive coalition of churches and Christian NGOs who are together seeking to respond to the COVID-19 crisis in our province of KwaZulu-Natal. This webinar was looking specifically at the issue of gender-based violence and looking at the issue of um, domestic and sexual violence during COVID-19 and how we as the church respond to this. Asking the specific question of where is the church in this crisis? The session was put together and hosted by the covid 19 Churches Respond project together with We Will Speak Out South Africa and the KZNCC. And special thanks to the gender-based violence team within the COVID-19 project uh, for hosting this event to the panel of speakers who so graciously gave of their time and their expertise to be a part of this for more information on the project please visit www.covid19response.co.za and enjoy listening to this recording
1: our question really is um, domestic and sexual violence during COVID-19 where is the church a lot of people are asking where is the church And um, many people in the church are asking, how can we respond? Um, And there are a lot of questions that that people are sitting with. We recently um, had um, a session, a meeting with the Lean of Etiquini West in, in Durban. And um, the one hour session turned into a two hour session, which then also turned into uh, another whole session of two and a half hours. Um, It seemed to be a burning issue. So we have tried to um, see how we can um, address some of these questions um, and how we can start some of these conversations. Um, And that's why uh, we specifically thought not to have another series of lectures. I think many of us are zoomed out with people's lectures. So um, we want this to be a a conversation. We want it to be a safe space, um, which is difficult when there's a lot of people together. We don't necessarily know each other, but perhaps one way we can make it safe is that we all recognize that understanding the nature of gender-based violence, understanding how gender inequalities contribute to it, and um, how the way we are doing church may or may not be contributing to it is a journey. And none of us has all the answers. And, um, And we need to have grace towards one another as we explore and as we learn. We've got much to learn and we've got much to teach each other. Just like racism is an individual and a structural matter, so is sexism and gender inequality. Our societies and our institutions, communities, even our families are structured to promote inequalities and convince us sometimes even that violence is normal or should just be hidden. But how we handle that as individuals, and as individual leaders in our spaces, um, and in relationship with others is actually our personal responsibility. So um, when we speak, um, and we share and we grapple with issues, if we can um, hold that attitude of realizing that our thoughts are not God's thoughts, and we have a whole lot to learn, and we proceed in humility to learn from one another, we can really enjoy this space. So I would like to um, suggest, uh, well, I wanted to just give a very brief background. But you know, when I was thinking about it, uh, I don't know that we need to convince each other of the extent of the problem. We know the stats, we know that South Africa is the least safe country in the world of all countries that are not at war. We know that social disintegration, economic disintegration, psychological stress under COVID-19 is contributing to making matters even worse. Um, If anyone has any questions about all the facts and the statistics and all that stuff, you know, if if you Google it, you get thousands and thousands of entries. So let's not spend uh, too much time talking about all those issues now. But um, let's spend time asking, what does all this require of us as the church, as an individual, as a person uh, in South Africa, in relationship with many other people? Um, So we will have a space where um, we've invited a panel um, to begin just with a one or two-minute reflection on what are the most important, most pressing things that they would like to share with us today. And then we're going to go into groups and we're going to share something of the most important questions that are really sitting on the top of our minds and our hearts. And then uh, we're going to ask somebody in each group to type just one, two or three key questions And then we will bring those questions back into the space after 10 minutes. Uh, So we'll have to talk to the point. There's no space for sermons, um, church leaders, pastors in the groups. We need to just really be to the point with sharing our questions. and, um, And then we will open up the space in a conversation form. I hope that makes sense. And we'll try and I'll try and watch the time and make sure that we do have a little bit of time at the end to think through where to from here, so that we're not just um, doing a talk shop again. So um, let me then go straight into uh, introducing our panel, if I may. Um, We've got um, six people, but five presentations that will be short and brief and to the point. They may be hard hitting. So um, I think we we would ask everyone to, to put on your parapace and not be too sensitive um, because we really want to talk our authentic truth here and really uh, struggle with the realities of, of, of what we're grappling with. Um, the first speaker, Um, that we've invited is Ms. Uh, Nompilo Tuenza, who is the chairperson of PEPISA Survivors Network. She's been a gender and and GBV activist for several years. She's actually an engineer by training, but can you imagine um, has never been able to access um, a practical space because of various inequalities in the system. Um, She's a member of Umlaizi Oasis Church and the mother of two beautiful boys. I've worked closely with Nompilo for two years, and for We Will Speak Out, one of our core um, principles is that we work alongside and we are guided by those who are most directly affected by gender-based violence. And as a survivor, Nompilo has taught me a huge amount. And um, I'm really grateful to, to know her and to be able to learn from her. Um, I think I'm gonna give you um, all the speakers, I'm gonna run down them, and then we will um, um, uh, go through and allow each one to speak. The second speaker, and I apologize, Lauren, Reverend Lauren Jacobs, I apologize that for some reason the reverend dropped off the program. Um, So the program actually follows the patriarchal trends where the male clergy is called a reverend, but not the female, and I really apologize for that. Um, Reverend Jacobs, um, Lauren, um, was actually sent today by God. It's just amazing how things work. Um, Last week, God put it on her heart to follow up with us as we will speak out. She's been on our Facebook for a while. And um, she was offering to support our work in in different ways. Um, And here she is supporting our work. Um, She's a minister in the Messianic Ministry and is a gender-based violence therapist, a researcher, journalist, trainer, and facilitator, and also the author of two award-winning novels. And next is uh, Ms. Mened Leila, um who has also taught me a huge amount. Um, she's speaking from the perspective of a young black woman with a deep passion for gender justice and an end to gender-based violence. And she speaks from that experience. She works in the retail industry, but spends every spare minute leading in a variety of spaces to transform her local Anglican church, being a church council member and a youth leader, and also transforming the church sector more broadly as a convener of the care team of the KZN Joint Churches COVID-19 Respond Initiative. Um, Mrs. Cecile Saunders has worked as a missionary for 35 years with her husband, George, and together they run the Crusaders for Christ mission in the South Coast. She has experience working in a shelter for abused women and is a trained lay counselor. And uh, sharing together with her is Ms. Sarah Akers, who's a social worker who's worked with addiction as well as child protection. And uh, they work together at CFC in Marina Beach, South Coast. They were in, uh, She and her husband were involved in youth ministry for a number of years until they answered the call to be involved in this mission. Her passion is to help families build safe relationships that foster the growth of secure attachments for children. And last, but definitely not least, we have Reverend Desmond Lesejane. Um, Des and I go back a long way. He was the first deputy director of Songke Gender Justice, if I remember correctly, and is a pastor in the Evangelical Church of Southern Africa, or ALSA. He's a wonderful combination of theologian, pastor, activist, consultant, and intellectual. He's a soft spoken man, a gentle soul, and a fierce fighter for justice. So I'm going to call on you one by one to just share with us for one minute, maximum two, um, the key things that you want us to think about as we sit here um, together today. Nompilo, would you start us off? Um, thank you so much. Uh, greetings
2: you all. Um, what I would like to share is uh, during this pandemic, I think that you've just shared the increase of numbers on gender-based violence and more survivors are being re-victimized and abused. So for me, it will be as much as we Uh, observing or adhering to social distancing but I think it's the time where leaders or faith leaders can open up spaces more especially for survivors to have that space even to meet because mostly people do not even know where to go where to hide so for me that will be my first key of um, churches having those or that space where even you feel like you're being abused, and then you have somewhere to run to. That will be the first way, even during this pandemic to run to. And I've I've, I've even experiences with other survivors where they needed a place, and then churches are also now closed. There's no one. So for me, we'll be looking into that space of who to go to during this time.
1: Thank you so much, Nompilo. So important. Where do survivors go? I remember Reverend Vernon Hammond once saying at a meeting um, the importance of opening safe spaces um, by churches for survivors, whether it's an electronic space or a physical space with, with physical distancing. But he also said Um, we have to be safe spaces. So I just want to leave you with that challenge as well from what Nompilo has said. How can we as church leaders be a safe space for survivors? Uh, Nompilo, thank you for for those words. I'm going to call on uh, Reverend Lauren Jacobs now. Thank you, Lauren.
3: Hi, everybody. Uh, It's me. Let me start my clock so that I only do this in one minute. I think that for me, very much obviously as a faith leader, but more as a theologian and Bible scholar for the last 10 years and being a researcher in the area of gender-based violence, my main concern is a theological concern. And it is that if we want to be first responders or we want to be safe spaces, and while responding to victims of gender-based violence, as faith leaders, as clergy, we have to look at our personal theology first, as well as our denominational theology. What I have experienced on the field working with many different women, and I'm going to use a very practical example, is one woman telling me that she was raped repeatedly in her marriage. But when she approached faith leaders for help, they quoted 1 Corinthians 7 and told her that your body belongs to your husband, therefore rape does not exist in marriage. As, as much as this probably does outrage us, it is based on theology and it's what we believe, what some people believe. So as faith leaders, we have a responsibility to start to examine personal theology as well as our denominational theology, what we are believing about marriage, about family as well. And secondly, we have to, as clergy, take responsibility for what we preach from our pulpit. And that is how we preach forgiveness, for example, or how we teach about the family, which is so important, but yet children are being abused in families and family violence is a very real thing. So we can talk about the sanctity and beauty of the family, which is very, very important, however, we need to also then acknowledge that many children as well as wives are not safe in their families. So how do we preach about the family? How do we preach about forgiveness when half of the abusers are sitting in our pews? How do we look at our own personal theology? Maybe, you know, must woman keep silent? Can women be raped in marriage? All those kind of things. So it's about deconstructing personal and denominational theology and looking at it and saying how important is our theology and how does it prevent us from being responsive to gender-based violence. And I found that theology needs to be explored. And I think that that's a great thing. It's a big thing, but I think it's very, very important for us as faith leaders to sort of start to begin to look at, and that's really, really what's on my heart today. So thank you so much, Daniela.
1: Thank you. Powerful words indeed. I had forgotten um, to ask you, please, to switch your cameras on when you speak. I saw your, your face very briefly there, Lauren and didn't see Nompilo, but um, uh, in future, please can we try and just switch on briefly and rather those who are not speaking could switch theirs off and those who are speaking could switch theirs on. Um, so thank you for that. Um, uh, Sarah, you might want to help me with with that and with the muting as well. Um, who's next? Sorry, I'm still trying to get somebody else in. Uh, Mene. Mene, please come in and um, and share with us what's on the top of your mind for, for, for us to consider today.
4: Hi, everyone. Um, please excuse me. I'm streaming from my phone today, um, which okay. is not the best. <laughs> but um, I've just got a few themes when I was thinking about um, my talk today. Um, and I got mm. quite emotional just preparing for this because you know, you go on as a young uh, woman in in society and, you know, you carry yourself in a way you, uh, you know, uh, personally as a a young, young black woman, you know, I um, find my identity in in the fact that, you know, I'm educated, I'm strong, I'm a leader and all of those things. But then when it comes to issues of gender-based violence, you want to be there for everybody else and try and, um, you know, change the dynamics, get people to open their minds about the fact that as women of all ages, we live with uh, you know the shadow of gender-based violence on on a daily on a daily basis. And every woman has gone through um, an incident. Every single woman has gone through an incident. Um, whether your reaction was to nip it in the bud or your reaction was to keep quiet and move on with your life or to accept that I'm a woman in society and, you know, let whatever it is that's happening happen to you. Um, We've gone through it and we go through it. So the first thing that I felt today thinking about this topic was just feelings of despair. As women, we all feel we have feelings of despair when we see another woman you know something's happened to them when you see a picture of the girl child on social media you then think that oh okay that's another one um that uh that something's happened to you know and i think um my question uh, yeah okay, I think you 're muted now. <laughs> so yeah, my question to this panel and everybody here is um, what is our recourse um you know for for the situation that we all find ourselves in now? What is the recourse um as the church that we 're willing to take you know to to help change these dynamics because there's there are power dynamics in in every situation that you you find yourself in as a woman, you know firstly, when you encounter a man on the street. He may be a stranger or he may be somebody you've never met, but he feels entitled, he can grab your hand. I've had that happen to me a couple of times or shout at you or you know, and it's a complete stranger. And then when it comes to people that you know, because you've lived through that shadow of, you know, men in society, you know, it being acceptable that the whole society and community sees that when you're walking past a taxi rank or just in the mall or somewhere, and somebody harass you and it's okay. Then you lose your voice and you think, if I speak up, you know, you're carrying now the burden of the shame and it or from a young age as a young woman, that if you speak up, then you're the loud mouth. And then tropes like angry black woman and angry woman, oh, you're so sensitive, all of those tropes, they're quite real. And, you know, thinking about my, my one minute or two minutes here, I just thought everything I say might... Not even hit home with us, with everybody who's here because it's been said so many times, and we keep saying enough is enough. But in the church, it's happening every single day. Um, where where men make women feel uncancelable, and I'm not saying that it's you as a person in 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 the church, but let's be alert. Let's be there for our young women. Um, that and break down these power dynamics because the first power dynamic as a young woman is my age, I'm younger. You know, if an older man approaches me, then I've I've got no recourse. And then as a woman, I'm female, he's male, he's got the power, you know, as an unmarried young woman, if a person is married, then it's like, okay, you're the one who wants to, um, shake, you know, the family units or whatever it is. So let's just always be alert when we conduct our business in the church about trying to build families together and, you know, help women, Think about all of these power dynamics and give women a voice, um, you know, to, to say what they are going through. And yeah, just bear in mind my question. What's the recourse from the church? What are we uh, going to try to do to help make things better for, for us in the church? Thank you.
1: Wow. Powerful voice. Um, okay. And, you know, if we are feeling uncomfortable with some of the things that have already been said, um, usually when the Holy Spirit is working with us as Christians and as churches, um, God is working us through a space of, of discomfort. So let's not try and shut down any of the discomfort. Let's be present to it and let's really grapple with what, what is being said from the heart. Um, I would like to now um, ask um, Cecile and Sarah, if you can switch on your camera and others who are not speaking, please switch off your cameras so that we've got room for those who are presenting to switch on their cameras. Um, Sarah, please help me with that. Um, Sarah and Cecile, welcome. Let's hear what's on your hearts today.
5: Hi, everyone. Um, I'm going to be speaking for both of us. Um, But I think for us, even after hearing all of this, is we recognize that the church has a responsibility. We know that most people will first come to the church for help before they'll go anywhere else. Um, So we we can't not be prepared. We need to be trained. Pastors need to be trained. If you have the luxury of having someone who can do counseling, they need to be trained for this or at least be aware of it. Um, and they need to be a place where people can feel safe, like we said earlier, where they can come and share what's going on. Um, and Cecile has a, a really wonderful um, sort of illustration for it, where we need to have big eyes, big ears, and a small mouth. When people come, we need to see them, we need to hear them, and we need to not preach at them. Um, so that's, yes, that's what's on our heart. Thank Short you. Short Yep, thank
1: you so much. Um, Yeah, so many challenges to work with today. And finally, we want to ask um, Rev Dez if you could switch on your camera and, um, and perhaps just share with us what's on your heart. I did ask you to come last and to also, particularly, be listening to all the women that have spoken but also to share from your own experience and what's on your heart that you would like to put on the table for this conversation. Thanks, Des.
6: I think that thanks Danielle and thanks colleagues. I think the point that that doesn't raise is that the church needs to look at its beliefs, what it teaches, what it holds dear to its own mission, but also uh, to its practice. Uh, do we offer safe spaces do we teach the right things Uh, and and how how do we access different generations in the church on these issues but the point I want to make Daniela is that COVID did not create or does not create domestic violence and sexual violence Mm. it simply amplifies it and maybe it concentrates it uh, in ways that the numbers become scary uh, uh, Lauren talked about personal theologies or church theologies uh, and I think I want to take it fair and say even before we couple that the church must acknowledge Sorry, that
1: Sorry, we're struggling to hear you suddenly
6: You can't hear me Diz,
1: Maybe switch off your camera after all and just speak to us
6: uh, Okay, can you hear me now? Diz? Can you hear me Yes. Okay,
1: we can hear you now. Um, Days, we got up to um, uh, 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 COVID didn't create GBV. it surfaces it and concentrates it. And the one thing that you want to say is, and at that crucial moment, you were. Yeah,
6: praying. it is one thing in two parts. One is that the church, even before we begin to deconstruct theology, we must admit that our theology actually plays a big role in influencing the norms around gender equality. And issues around patriarchy like and male dominance largely emanate from what we interpret scripture as saying about men created first, men, men to be leaders at all times, uh, and men, in a sense, being superior to women, to just like men needing to submit to women. These are things that we need to acknowledge as contributors and some of the sources of what we are talking about. But I'm also saying, even as we grapple with that, I know it may bother on doctrinal issues for so many people, even as we struggle with that, we also claim to be followers of Jesus. I think one other thing that we could begin to do is to look at how, how Jesus became, in your language, Daniel, and not Numpilo uh, said, Jesus became a safe space for women in his own ministry and practice, how he embraced them, how we stood against culture in ensuring that women's dignities are also affirmed in those spaces. I think we also need to begin to 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 look at how how our teachings about male dominance and hierarchy uh, enables, I think, what uh, many have been saying about especially younger women uh, being denied a voice. Uh, in, in the church, forget about them being seen. And, and those at the top hierarchy, the men become dominant. So, so as we cover these issues, uh, we need to, to, to go back. If I were to answer the question, where is the church? I'm saying the church is pontificating, we're sitting on the balcony, if i use that metaphor, uh, pointing out to others, uh, watching, condemning, praying, preaching, reflecting, and we don't want to get involved, uh, get our hands dirty and begin to do some things about these things, uh, and and we need capacity to do that. That's my opinion. Thanks.
1: Wow. Thank you. Thank you very much to our panel um, for not sugarcoating anything, for saying it like it is. Um, I would like us now um to take what's the time see ten minutes in our groups if we need more time, we can take fifteen minutes to um um Sarah's going to put us into random groups i think um and i i I'm going to ask you in those 10 minutes to share in groups. uh, Sarah, how big are the groups? Four or five? Four or five. Okay. Thank you. Um, And to give everyone a chance to just share one burning question from what you've heard and from your own practice and what you're struggling with in your own day-to-day ministry. Um, that you would like to to ask any of the panelists, but also just put into onto the table um, for for discussion. You know, when I was uh, working in an NGO in Maritzburg, I used we used to have a rule where when we put a question on the table in a meeting or a discussion, it no longer belonged to us. So let's share those questions, not in a defensive way, but in a, quest, in a way that's really saying, let's explore deeply, and 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 get a sense of 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 where that is taking us, and some
0: um, answers, or maybe further questions that will come out of that. At this point in the webinar, the participants broke into smaller groups where they discussed some of the questions they had around the topic. If you'd like to see a copy of these questions, we have recorded them in the session notes which you can download via the website covid19response.co.za and if you pop onto the lean tab, there's a session there on the GBV webinar where it'll take you to a link where you can download all of the sessions and the notes from this webinar. So now let's jump back in and enjoy the rest of the episode
1: are still typing in their questions, which is fine. Um, while we're thinking about that, there's one question that's come up, I think, three times. Um, so I, I want to start with that. And the question is, how does one create a safe space? And I'm gonna open it up to members of the panel first. So uh, just to remind people and to tell people if you haven't been part of this before, if you take your cursor to the bottom of the screen where it says participants and you click there, then the participants will come up on the right side of your screen and your name should appear there on top. And then there's a lot of options at the bottom, including raise your hand, which will become lower your hand. Um, so please make use of that, um, and then it'll be easier for us to to allow everybody to to speak as they need to. So I'm going to open the floor first to the panel, and then to to others. So anybody with their hands up, how do we create a safe space or become a safe space? Um while people are putting their hands up, I'm going to share what um, Vernon, Hammond, Vernon Hammond shared in the other meeting that I mentioned about how you become a, shared spa- uh, a safe space. And he said, you have to watch your language. Um, we have to be careful about the language we use. Um, and maybe just think about that a little more. I want to give uh, Nompilo... Um, space rather than hugging it, Nompilo? Um,
2: oh. For me, uh, what I will say is that perhaps if we have a daily routine of speaking about gender-based violence, I think there's the first place wherever you are, whatever space you hold, you continuously share your your views and be open about gender-based violence. It should be an everyday conversation in every space you may be in, where you're able to share your views in any constructive way about GBV. In that way, you attract people to come and engage with you. So that's the first thing I'll say of being, of creating, of being a safe space for other survivors. Thanks.
1: Thanks, Numpilo. Will you lower your hand? Um, Dez? Thanks, Dez. The floor is open for you.
6: I stop blaming survivors for what happens to them, whether because of their address, whether because we think they are outspoken, or that disrespectful, but the church must stop using its patriarchal teachings to, to say women deserve it. The other thing I think we need to stop relegating everything to the realm of prayers without taking action to assist in that space.
1: Wow. Thank you. Anybody else from the panel want to respond? And then otherwise I'll open it to the floor.
3: Sorry, Daniela, I um, couldn't get to raise my hand. Okay, sure, Lauren. But it's Lauren. (laughs) Hi. You know, in working, I worked with 60 women in research over two years and we asked a lot of questions. And the one thing that most of the victims told me is that they feel safe when they are shown belief. So in other words, they want to be believed, Uh, Mm -hmm. you know, a victim comes to you and says, this is what's happening. Now, I had an abusive father growing up, so I'm also a survivor and people Mm -hmm. loved my father and he was such a charismatic individual, you know, and um, people used to say to me, it must be so wonderful living with him because he's such a, uh, you know, outgoing person and a bit of an actor, you know, and people loved him. So when you went forward and said, well, actually, things are not okay, the belief wasn't there, you know. So mm-hmm. specifically in our faith communities, you know, we, could, we are often dealing with, you know, women that come to us and tell us that elder, that leader, that deacon, that pastor is my husband, but he's abusing me. And we look at that person because he's, you know, in a position of leadership, and maybe he's helped us or whatever the case may be. We often don't believe the victim. We have to offer belief, you know, regardless of of what we think. And that's again our frame of reference. We have a frame of reference, and we think, oh well, maybe that person can't be doing wrong because they're so great. You know, we need to offer belief. And as you know, the church, we have to believe. So survivors, victims, be it male and female, because gender-based violence affects young boys and men as well. And if a man comes forward and sometimes it's hard for men to come and say their wife is abusing them, we have to believe them and say, we do believe and offer that belief first, and then create a space where we can, you know, walk the story with them and walk the journey together. So I think that one of the first things that we can do, not only as a church, but as individuals, is believe survivors, believe victims, and uh, not not judge you know be uh, be open to being a place where they can come and you can say yes i hear you i hear you and i see you and i think that that's important
1: thank you thank you so much um joshua was that debbie you
5: Joshua's hands
1: right. up. And it's, it's debbie yeah um Dez, is your hand up again or do you need to put it down Okay, thanks.
7: Thanks, Debbie. Yeah, I just wanted to add to what she said, you know, being a pastor's kid, um, many times, you know, you grow up in the church since the day you born, to put it that way. And I don't know where it comes from, but somehow you learn to always protect the image of the parents. And I think it's not just pastors' kids, I think it's in general that kids learn they must always protect the parent's image and not speak out, you know, what happens in the home. And so for me, Sunday school plays a crucial part in maybe teaching children that, you know, there is a safe space or um, even, you know, to make them aware of places where they can go to share. Um, For me, I just wanted to mention that.
1: Thank you so much, Debbie. Mene. Debbie, please put your hand down. Thank you. Mene? Yes, I would like to say um uh
4: victims carry the burden of shame, or um just I think to elaborate on Debbie's point, um, yeah, victims carry the burden of shame and you know, or when something happens to you, um Sorry,
1: (laughs) sorry. This Um, went weird.
4: Yes, um, and yeah. When something happens to you, then um, you as the victim, you always think, okay, I have to protect the image of the church or the image of this person or that person's family. You're thinking about the community. What would people think? What will you know, what will they say to me? What will they blame? For me? So what we can do as a church maybe is to um, remove the burden from the victim. The shame is not for the victim to carry. Um, it's for the perpetrators to carry because they're the ones who create that safe space by not blaming the victim all the time.
1: Thanks, Mene. Would you put your hand down as well, please, Mene? Yes, thanks. Um, Thanks. Does anybody else want to come in here? Does anyone disagree with anything that anybody has said so far? Nope. Um, can, I, can I just extend this question from some of the other questions that I'm seeing on this page? Um, somebody was also, one of the groups was asking, um, what about different kinds of survivors? How do we create safe spaces for different kinds of survivors? For example, um, men and uh, children, um, but also faith leaders who are survivors, pastors who are survivors. Um, Are there any thoughts on that? Which is um, also very, very complex um, and difficult questions. Des, can I ask you perhaps to venture something?
6: I, I, I was t- trying to listen but, but I think p- p- part of where, where we we start it's uh, been the issue of acknowledging people's experiences uh, not not being judgmental but also using the the structures in the churches uh like the different the women's groups the men's groups the youth groups and and have conversations and dialogues around these issues in those spaces, where people as peers may may have similar experiences and may be able to better engage with each other. But it's not just conversations that are not guided. Uh, that that includes us uh, deepening the conversations, looking at scripture, and and pointing to to where where resources that may inspire hope resources that may improve accountability and resources that may help us uh, to become less judgmental going forward.
1: Very interesting. Mahadi, I'm glad you got here, yes. Mahadi. And then I'm going to ask Cecile and Sarah as well after Mahadi. All right. Thank you
8: very much for, for letting me in and for inviting me. I think from my side, if we look at patriarchy, for, for me, men tend to always want to fix problems and women are, are, are emotional beings. If the church can offer empathy realistically and understanding and also the counselors that victims go to, are trained to actually give the empathy that is required, give the understanding that is required, and give the support that is required. I think that will actually take the church um, a long way. And especially because a whole lot of victims tend to run to church um, for protection or for help. or or for hope, if I can put it that way, where they're hoping that they will come back feeling better, where they're hoping that whatever feelings or emotions that they're going through um, are welcomed, uh, how can I put it, are embraced, and that they've taken some load off. Of their shoulders so those that um, work with the church within the church should also be trained to be more empathetic to be more understanding and to be more receptive and again we must start with catechism you know training or rather teaching our children from an early age um, about GBVF and also how to, 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 to break the silence. Thank you very much.
1: Mm-hmm. Thank you. I just have one follow-up question for you, Mahadi. You mentioned, um, you know, that if the church can offer empathy, understanding, and the required support, it will go a long yes. way. Um, how will the church know what the required support is?
8: Look... Normally in in marketing, you always research. So Mm. the church has to ask the right questions to Mm. its congregants. We, the the, the community, have to inform the church what it is that we want. We as the women that are Mm. the victims have to inform the church what is it that we
1: want. But they Mm. have to ask the right questions. Thank you. Just like Jesus did, didn't he? When somebody came to him, he didn't guess what they needed. He always asked, what is it that you want to do for you? Thanks, Mahadi. Um, uh, Cecile and Sarah, and then I'm going to say Pati. Mahadi, would you put your hand down so we don't get confused?
5: Thank you. Um, Just adding on maybe a little bit to what uh, Mahadi was saying, is that sometimes we don't know what to do. So someone comes and they share and we sort of panic in the church. We don't know what to do, so we do nothing. Or we just say, go and speak to this person and we send the person away and we don't realize maybe how much courage or um, what that person went through to get to the point where they've come to you for help. Mm. Um, Mm. So I think part of creating a safe place is if, If you aren't in the position to be able to help that person, to make sure you know your network. Mm. If you're going to refer this lady to somebody, then you need to know that they will definitely get the help that they they need. Um, Because you, you don't want them to keep reliving their trauma by having to keep sharing their story, if they're even willing to try again. Um, Mm. So first of all, we need to know and be trained, but if we can't be, then to make sure you know who you are referring to.
1: Thank you. Um, Thank you Sepati and then Solomuzi, I see your hand also. Um, Thank you. Thank you, Daniela. Um, I, I just... Oops, where did you go? Hello Hello, okay, I can hear you now oh, Okay, all right,
9: thank you Sorry about that, thanks Daniela um, I was just saying that um, Quite a lot of things are popping into my mind As we having, as I'm listening um, One of the things That are of concern to me Is this uh, Being that person, that faith Leader, who Ministers to both Victim or survivor And perpetrator um, you know, how does one create a safe space for both? And and also with regards to believing um, the victim, you know, you want to believe the victim. W- what happens in cases where you also want to I want to say this in the most sensitive way, where you, where you really want to be factual, maybe using a person for something that they did not do um, you know like, like how do you minister to both perpetrator and victim uh, without uh, you know that friction that you might have as a faith leader you know i 'm struggling with that because if we if we, if we operate on believing the victim, I think it sounds nice, I think it is good. Um, however, what happens when you have uh, – w- what if what if the perpetrator or the supposed perpetrator is actually the one who's the victim? So how, how does the discernment process work in that case? So that's the first thing I want to raise. The second thing is um, in terms of faith leaders, I think that hurt people hurt people. And, mm-hmm. and there needs to be an, on, an ongoing check um, – of us, of faith leaders to see, you know, am I still okay? Um, Am I still um, a safe person to come to? And I wonder if seeking help even outside the church would not be something beneficial
1: for faith leaders to do. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Thank you, Sepati. Um, I think we must come back to the other question. It's a big and thorny question and um, has probably aroused quite strong feelings in a number of people in either direction, in lots of directions. Thank you for raising it, it is really important. And maybe Nompilo can also share something from her recent experience. But first I want to give the space to Solomuzi to say what he he wanted to say.
10: Uh, Thank you, Daniela. Um, I'm a man and an ordained pastor. Um, and and I think one of the problems I have is that we sometimes don't problematize the church enough. Uh, I find the church very problematic in how it is structured, and there are many examples to 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 give credence to what I'm saying. Um, I see, of late, you have the ANC, for instance, saying they're investigating one another because of corruption. You have a cabinet setting up ministers, ANC ministers investigating corruption, uh, and and I've seen in the church also the church moving clergy around whenever there is a story around mm-hmm. sexual mm-hmm. violence, gender-based violence, abuse, and so forth. Um, so I'm actually wondering how do we uh, create pressure groups or counter groups in the church to actually challenge the problems that you find in the church. Uh, For instance, here is a sensitive issue. There is a pastor in the Anglican Church who went to protest alone, challenging Archbishop Tabo There is a case recently, unfortunately, both are now dead, of Sandiso and his wife. And you find the church really not the best vehicle to come to the party and make uh, victims believe that this is a structure which could help them. Thank you.
1: Thank you very much. Um, mm -hmm. Who's prepared to venture? Some thoughts. It's been taken a little further now. I think Musi is raising another question about pressure groups in church. And why are we silent when there are issues in church? I can speak as an Anglican, but I don't want to. I would love others to speak. There are many other Anglicans here who would also speak. Um, And um, the other question which also comes into play here, perhaps as part of it is is the question of the what ifs. What if, you know, we want to believe the survivor, but what if there is some manipulation? What if, what if? Um, So let's have a real conversation, an authentic conversation and and, and deal with these hard issues and be uncomfortable. So I see here Desmond's um, hand, I see Siwe see as well as Cizwe. Um, so, can we go in that order for now? Thank you. Th-
6: th- 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 thanks, Daniela. I I I I like the the depth of the, the discussion. Mm-hmm. I think in t- in terms of the the person of the faith leader, a critical component of what they should be is to be trustworthy persons in their own, own own makeup. And I think trustworthy, as we said, as in Jesus was trustworthy and people felt safe when they approached him. The, the issue about believing the survivor or the perpetrator, as you say, it is complex. But again, I think in many instances, it falls in the, what about men realm? Uh, that they too are abused, uh, and, and, and in a space where there may be instances of false accusations. But, but, but we know that statistics will tell us that the numbers of those accusations, uh, uh, they are, I'm not dismissing them, but they are minuscule that in most instances, people who come out who garner the courage to stand up and go and report a case. People who would have struggled, even with their faith, to a large extent. And by the time they get to talking out, they've already suffered a lot. And and not believing them, I want to argue, uh, actually abuses them even more because they they get re-traumatized in many ways. So I think we need to to be careful as to how we equate the two and how we give space to the two. And, and I hear somebody talking about the need for us to use facts. Uh, 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 and I think in the context that we talk about, facts may also be a dangerous tool uh, as a standalone uh, indicator of what's happening. Largely, because <laughs> of, of the trauma that, that, that happens in those spaces. I want to push forth, and again, going back to the experience, and say part, part of the framework with which we engage these issues is what is the problem. The, the mm-hmm. framework of looking at things from the experiences and the eyes of men, and the framework which also is mm-hmm. the same thing that has largely uh, interpreted scripture. Uh, and the manner in which we choose particular texts and use them for like issues. Uh, uh, the, the Hartford group has raised for me and I agree with them an interest proposition that, that could the church move from premise of saying domestic violence and sexual violence is actually a sin. And, and that kind of point of departure uh, mm-hmm. and engagement is framed in that way. But even beyond that, can can the church get to a point where we begin to say, actually, Pythagor itself, the notion that men were created first and therefore are leaders ordained by God, and and that women must submit to them. And if they are not doing that, it's actually wrong. That 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 can we get to a point that we say, this is a heresy. And and you begin to to normalize. These relations, I think, largely in a way that Solomon is talking about, normalized relations that will lead us into a space when so we engage further. And if we're struggling with that, can we then go back to Jesus and say, how, what, what type of a man was he? What type of a leader was he? Uh, how, how he, in many ways, was countercultural when, when you come to, to many issues, affirmed those that are called sinners or those that were said to be defiled, uh, uh in in ways that, that said, women, you too are creating the image of God. Because if we don't get into that environment where we we push this uh, uh equal dignity, we, we're gonna keep on, on struggling uh mm-hmm. and, and and revert and end up in those spaces where we become selective in our responses. And, and we prefer excuses in, in many instances.
1: Thank you, Des. As, as you were speaking, um, I, was, I was thinking um, about the, the, the whole inequality of perception. So just, uh, just thinking, Sepati, um, about a man who might feel entitled to a woman's body might not call taking her body and um, having intercourse with her, by force, rape. Because he feels he's, you know, he's entitled to that. But if she perceives it as assault, whose fact is fact? Just a question. So let's go on. Sorry, uh, Bussi. Um, this is so interesting. I wish we had hours and hours. We have about 35 minutes left. So, um, uh, Busi, and then Sizwe, and then I see Lauren's hand as well. Thank you so much. Busi, I think you might be struggling to unmute. I don't know if, if um, Sarah can help. Okay. There you go.
11: Um, Okay, I'm coming from traditional church. I think there's a lot that needs to be done, really, to change the mentality of church leaders, especially leaders, men leaders, to deal with the issue of GBV. There's a lot that needs to be done. I'm also a pastor, Messina pastor. I had a case, maybe... The group will will discuss this. I had a case where a woman leader was being abused by her husband, and her husband was a bishop. And um, when the uh, and her husband was a was a bishop, and then when when the woman uh, decided to to now, unless it's time that I must go. Their husband was crying that he's sorry by doing this and this. He was trying to manipulate their child, their children's sons, especially to convince their mother to come back home. And some elders of the church also said, no, things will change. You'll be okay. Please come back home. And I I was uh, somebody to be blamed because I was saying, but this has been a Taking years being abused by your husband. All I'm saying, and then at the end of the day, that woman goes back to the to the husband, and it's still happening even now. So that's why I'm saying there's a lot of work that needs to be done to the churches to pass to because they're the ones, And that pertains, they also have you uh, and that are attending. So I, I don't know what can we do really to deal with this issue because this issue is, I don't want to talk about it. They are hiding behind those doors. So it's saying that I don't know how, how can we have more, especially bishops to, to attend this a uh, discussion that they be able maybe to change their minds. Thank you. Thank you very much.
1: In my mind, the victims of gender-based violence are those who have been victims of femicide. All others who are still alive and who are still walking and are still building their lives are survivors. And it might go to something that um, um, Reverend Vernon Hammond mentioned about being a safe space. It's also how we Refer to people. So thank you. Sizwen and Lauren.
2: Thank you.
12: Thank you so much, Daniela. Um, uh, I'm not sure whether you can hear me. I'm yes. just on the road. Okay. Thank you. Uh, I like your question when, when when you ask whose fact is fact. And um, uh, if, if I were to use my, I'm, I'm an Anglican and I'm also an Anglican priest. If we were to use the current cases, where the majority of the people are expecting uh, the Archbishop or the Dawson Bishops to act on perpetrators without uh, court convictions or facts. And it becomes a problem because it has happened before. Many clergy have been suspended on, by, on breaking pastoral codes of conduct and, 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 and just using a moral framework. They have been suspended. And what has happened is that they turned back and went into uh, secular courts and Church and many dioceses have forked out millions. Uh, I, 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 there is one case. Even if you go to uh, this, you'll, you'll see it on the. There is one case of a priest who, 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 who was paid by the church three million rand for unfair suspensions because they didn't have facts uh, to, for, to prove uh, the, 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 misconduct that the, 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 priest was alleged to have done. So this, it, it is easy sometimes to, to talk, but it is very difficult to act. Uh, on these cases. Uh, but there is one thing that we cannot argue about, that we cannot debate. That is a person's feeling. Uh, I mm-hmm. think part of creating a safe space, we, we have, to hand, have to acknowledge the have acknowledge the We don't have to shut down or disprove or, or disprove that, that a person is feeling in a particular way. That cannot be argued. But facts have to be established because church has, have, has been there and it has suffered so it is very difficult to navigate um times when we ask uh, the the question what is the church doing it seems as if the impression that comes to mind is that maybe uh, we are talking about people who are aloof uh, from this pandemic but yet we see leaders uh, church leaders uh, uh, on the newspapers we see church leaders dying uh, and 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 and, and tangled around the issues of uh, domestic uh, and, and, and abuse so we have to acknowledge that this, this is the church. This is the church, including its members. They may not belong to an institutionalized church, but these are scattered church members. These are church leaders who are affected by, 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 by domestic and sexual violence. It's happening in our church. And sometimes we expect the church to respond while it is the church that is involved in the same pandemic. Thank you.
1: Thank you, Sizwe. It's a very, very difficult and complex issue. And, you know, the the early feminists used to say, and I think it needs to be said again and again, that the personal is political and the political is personal. That um, things are not always straightforward and they're not always what they seem. Um, Lauren, thank you.
3: Yes, thank you. I actually wanted to raise... um, a bit of a question and thing that came up in the group which i think is very very important because Mm. we talk about patriarchy and that word has come up and and it is definitely an issue now we're talking about sometimes we talk about men and it's it is said often men believe they have the right to this and they are exactly this but it was brought up in in the group that um this was from a male perspective one of the male participants in our group that said you know, he was brought up by a single mother and traditionally and culturally he was taught by his mother as well as other young boys who are brought up by, you know, single moms. They're taught that men are not to be loving, they're not to be kind and they are weak if they are loving towards their wives or the wives are controlling them, if they are too loving towards them and that many boys are brought up by single moms and then the single moms... Teach these boys to be dominant and not weak, and to not show this love towards their wives. And so, there we see the question was, How do we change that culture? I want to take it a step further and say that there we see women, and this is a good uh, conversation also to have, perpetuating patriarchal beliefs. So, it's not just men that are sitting saying, Oh, we must be dominant guys, let's get together in our little groups and you know, be all male and masculine. We sometimes see women are being up their sons, you yeah. know be dominant don't be caring towards your wife because then it's going to look like she's controlling you you know and the question then that came in the group was how do we change this culture you know how do we change it so that men you know don't buy into that mindset don't see that love and kindness is weak that has been taught to them by their moms that that is the case. And I think that that's a very, very interesting perspective because you know what? I know a lot of female leaders and female clergy whose greatest opponents to them being ordained were women in their congregations, not men in their congregations. So again, when we're dealing with gender-based violence and we're dealing with a mindset of control, patriarchal beliefs, we have to look at all of us and all of ourselves and say, how a woman perpetuating this mindset and how are women also victim blaming as that was one of the words that came up as well and involved in secondary victimization. But it's a good perspective to think, how do we change the culture? of you know moms teaching their sons as well just to be dominant and masculine and not loving and i thought that that was a very very interesting conversation that took place so yeah something to think about
1: thank you very much lauren um just seeing here through any other hands um just to, uh, while people are also thinking um as you speak i don't know if it's worth sharing um just a reminder that patriarchy is a system. It's a belief system or a number of belief systems that work together to reinforce the dominance of a certain kind of man, not even all men. And, um, and I think we, we, we need to remember that as well. And I think I said right at the beginning, it's not just about all men are bad and all women are, are victims. It's very very complex, and we've all been shaped. and And the challenge really is, how do we become more conscious about our own um, upbringing, our own triggers, um, so that we can actually be part of building something new? Um, and and I think that 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 is something that that we can each do, is just to become more conscious. And you know, if we blame you know, everything on patriarchy, it's like blaming everything on apartheid. In the end, we don't have to change. And in the end, we don't have to live more consciously and more, more humanly and respectfully, um, you know, with, with all those around us um, and recognizing that everybody is made in the image of God, regardless of, of what social categories they might have been put into. Um, so you raise a really, really important point. Um, and um, I, I, you know what I would like to do now? I'm just going back to some of the questions. Another question that came up as we, this can be our last question. And then we have a bit of a discussion around that. And then let's talk a little more practically about how we might want to take this conversation forward, if at all, or, or, or how we might want to move from here. And that was the question around biblical teachings. Um, There is a very strong dominant trend in many churches that, um, you know, the Bible says as if the Bible is an oracle and has its own voice, forgetting that um, actually as we read, just like when we have conversations, I don't hear what you say. Exactly as you say it, I hear it as I perceive it, and my own stuff gets in the way. And so the the whole issue of of coming and saying this is what God's word says, and it is God's word, um, has itself been been called a form of spiritual abuse. Um, and and the, the need to to relook at scripture and to see how our patriarchal traditions have picked and chosen um, certain scriptures um, to to make us think in a particular way, whereas there are many others that that speak differently. And how do we find ways to allow scripture to dialogue with scripture? Um, So so, uh, Des mentioned earlier, the, the question about re-looking at the life of Jesus, how did Jesus become a safe space? How was it that a bleeding woman could so want to and believe that if she just touched his cloak, she would be made well of this thing that had shamed her, this bleeding for 12 years? Um... Versus uh, some of the texts in Leviticus and in the Old Testament and, and others that almost demonized women with what they call the flow of blood um, and make her dirty and so on. How do we reconcile some of these um, apparent contradictions? Um, and how do we begin to, in a, in a credible way, so that we don't just get hammered and told we're heretics that we want to throw the whole Bible out the window and so on, to really explore deeply what what Scripture is is saying. Are there any thoughts that people would like to share around that? Because it seems to me that that is one of
11: the Fundamental,
1: in terms of our our, our nation being eighty percent Christians, and in how in how in how or even in standards that they do you. Okay. Um,
9: So for me, I I think that one of the most effective ways is to have contextual Bible studies. Mm -hmm. Um, Contextual Bible studies are very helpful because they don't um, begin at the assumption that the one that's sort of hosting the Bible study is the one with all the information. Mm -hmm. So that's where you get to pick up um, where people are, how people see things, and where you also um, get to learn and uh, are able to offer teaching as well. Um, another thing is, I think we, we need to take it a step further. Instead of just having these spaces where we can have Bible studies and share our thoughts, we also have to have an, an exercise where we can safely say, um, this is what the priest says, and this is what I'm hearing, mm-hmm. and I I think that to to have that because when somebody's on the pulpit and they're preaching, we don't get a chance to engage with that person and to say, wait a minute, Mfundi, I I I'm not understanding clearly what you're saying. And you can have one congregation, all of them hearing a different thing. So we need mm-hmm. to have some some way of saying, okay, this is these are the words that were spoken, but this is how. I heard them because it, that that validates um, also my interpretation it, it makes me it helps me get to a point where I can see if people are hearing what I'm trying to say or if people are actually um, uh, at a level where they they so um, into their own way of understanding or just a different way of seeing things um, so that's that's one thing and one last thing I think also. Um, is that we have to be okay with disagreement when it comes to Bible education. We, we, we have to be confident to say, okay, you see it that way, I see it this way, and um, perhaps I'll get to understand how you understand it and one day you'll understand how I understand it. But to, to say it's okay for us to disagree and to gradually grow into sort of a, a Christ-centered way of seeing things.
1: Thank you. And maybe what you're saying is, is to avoid an either or. It's either this or that. Yes. Um, yes. Uh, you know, and, and it's a deeper kind of wisdom, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Thank you. Siswe, um, I, I, I see you and then Penny. Nice to see you, Penny.
12: Thank you. Yeah. Uh, Siswe, go thanks, ahead. Thanks, thanks
1: Daniela. Uh, Sorry, we can't hear you very well. Can you go closer to the mic? Oh, okay. Uh, maybe I should just
12: call
1: it blue. No, Can it's it worse. Now? Is it worse? No, that's better now. Thank you, That's worth? better. Mm.
12: Okay. Sorry, it's just that I'm on the road. Uh, but mm-hmm. I just wanted to say that when we look at um, uh, our theology, the gospel does not speak to the matters of the spirit only. Uh, I think it's Paul who says, let your minds be renewed by the renewal of the spirit, which means the gospel also uh, speaks to the matters, uh, the psychological matters to say. Uh, We need not to, as church, we need not to overlook uh, the behavioral patterns that most of young boys try to communicate uh, to elders while they are still young. uh, Because most of them, they grow up with these emotions uh, suppressed within them. And most of the times when they grow up, the, the, the only person that they find, uh, that they express to are those whom they claim to life, to love. Then they, they, these emotions of anger, of, of, of viciousness, they, it, it, it just explodes. But the, we as church, we don't even have a syllabus that speaks uh, to these behavioral patterns because just like any child, a child does not communicate it. Uh, they are with, with, with verbal words, but they 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 they, they show it with their behavior. But mm-hmm. we all that like we wait till they up and then it, it 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 has deep, uh, that could have uh, paid attention attention to uh, at, at a younger at, a, at early stages. So that that's my uh, contribution to this. Thank you. Thank you
1: very much. We go boys will be boys, don't we? Uh, until it's too late, and then boys become convicts. Um, Penny, and then Debbie, thank you. And then I'm going to try and start pulling some things together, which is going to be quite hard. Penny? Um, good afternoon. Um, I'm
13: so sorry that I, I joined in late. I actually had to go out somewhere Let's and wild checking. Um, yeah. Yeah. And while checking my WhatsApp messages, I saw this and I thought, no, I'm going on. This is a subject so, so close to my heart. Um, I'm a Pentecostal, raised Pentecostal. My family's Pentecostal. And what gets to me is how uh, you'd find the churches, mostly the men of God, the leadership in especially the Pentecostal churches who actually use scriptures to suit themselves in a lot of cases. Mm. Um, The one has been mentioned this afternoon that said uh, women must submit to their Mm. husbands. However, that verse continues and it says, and husbands love your wives. I'm going to make an example of what love is all about. Men love their cars. Now, tell me, a man that loves his car, is he going to purposely take a nail and go and scratch from the beginning of his car to the end of his car. No, he will not, because he loves his car. Therefore, I ask the question: Why do you abuse the woman that you claim to love? Um, I've often heard uh, that verse being just used, and then it just stops right there when the when the when the challenge has been put forth to the woman, and then it never continues. Uh, That was the one thing that I wanted to mention. And the other thing was um, the church is almost um, politically correct as, you know, how the lives we live and in government, everything is so politically correct. And and in the church, I would say it is so spiritually uh, correct. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, everything has got to uh, show the men as being the, the justified vessels. Uh, And the women are kind of like the unjustified vessel. Uh, The men are made to preach. The men are made to do this. The men and the women can do just as good. Um, We are told that in the kingdom of God, we equal, therefore treat us as equals. But there again, it is we, the women that are going to have to make them do these things. We cannot sit back in our church pews and and be okay with what goes on in our churches. If we keep quiet and we allow it to continue, it will therefore continue. We need to tell our pastors that pastors, first of all, and you know, sorry, let me just go back a bit. All these men that are in leadership in our church, you actually watch them doing things that they don't even know what they're doing. Hence, you see the church is falling by the wayside, things fall. And then when these things start falling apart, then we, we call upon the ladies, we call upon the sisters of the church to to please help out here. Funds are, are very low. Ladies, come and help with the fundraiser. So why didn't you guys do it? I mean, you you know it all. You you, you, you can do it. Well, so, you know, why must we come always to come and fix what you have broken? But this happens because we women tend to keep quiet. So I think we also need to start voicing our opinions, even in the church. It doesn't matter how you will be belittled, but at least then they will know. And there's there's actually platforms in which we can actually start doing it. Because in your church, there's a sisters group, there's a youth group. that, That is where these things need to start. Um, and then we take it to our pastors. Our pastor's wife needs to speak on behalf of the ladies in her church. And so, yeah, this is just, just a few things that mm. I, I could have wanted to say. But please do have this, this again so at least I can catch up because I know I've lost out on a lot. It's, it's really dear to my heart because I see these problems every day. The other mm. thing is also you will find that the, 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 the lady is unemployed. Therefore, she's unable to pay the tenth tithing. And her husband, who's employed, pays the, the, the tithes. So when she goes to her pastor or to the priest, guess who's he going to listen to?
1: Mm-hmm. I'll end on
13: the today. Thank you. Thank you.
1: Thank, you, um, so thank you. I've got um, Joshua and Penny. You see, I knew I had seen a Penny, Piggy Penny. Sorry about that. <laughs> um, uh, Debbie, I think you're speaking from Joshua's
7: um, phone. Yes, I just wanted to add, you know, uh, when it was asked earlier on how did Jesus create a safe space, mm. maybe something that I like when I read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, mm. Um they seem to recall that Jesus, normally people would come to him and they would ask him a question, and then he would respond to them.
2: Mm-hmm.
7: And um, as he said, in churches many times people don't have that space to come and to ask the questions. Mm-hmm. They just told this is what we believe, and you have to abide by it.
1: Thank you so much, Debbie. Um, Penny? Penny, we're ready for you. There you go. No, Penny, do you need to, are you struggling with your unmute? Um, Sarah, can you just help to unmute Penny?
0: Um, just pressing her button. No, I don't think it is working.
1: Sorry, Penny, I think that interference didn't help you. You came and went. No, I don't think it's working. Oh, uh, okay. Was that you? Okay, thank you, Penny. Sandy you wanted to say something and then you went away. Did you? Did you decide against it?
6: Um. Yeah, I think I think uh, the last speaker covered me quite 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 a bit. Thank you, okay. thank you, thank you, Yeah.
1: Okay, thank you. Thank you. I feel like, um, you know, I was saying, I want to try and tie things together. There's absolutely no ways I can tie things together. Um, And I I think that it would be um, reductionist of me to try. I've made about 10 pages of notes. I don't know about other people, but um, I'm hearing such deep, deep questions and such deep sincerity and longing for for us as church to to do things differently and to be different. Um, And um, so I I, I really I don't want to I don't want to reduce any of the depth of of what has been talked about and the challenges and, and some of you might feel, you know, why haven't you answered my question? Solomuzi, you know, I want to engage you on the Anglican issue. I don't want to engage you in this space. But there are so many complexities in, in so many of the things that we've been talking about. Um, I don't know what happened. We just lost. Uh, okay, that's fine. Um and, and the questions around different kinds of survivors. How do we deal with them? Um, the questions around... Um, okay, host wants to put on my video. Hello, everybody. <laughs> the questions around... Um, um, you know, race and class and... And um, seniority in the church and institutional hierarchy and... Politics and power, and and our our feelings, our emotions, and um, how survivors are viewed, and our stereotyping, and all those questions have created this melting pot in which I really hope that um, all of us are going to leave here a little bit uncomfortable, or very uncomfortable, um, and that we'll be prepared to to just hold that discomfort for a while and hold it in God's presence and grapple and go back to the scriptures and think through some of the things that um, we've experienced ourselves and some of the assumptions that maybe we ourselves have have normalized. Um, Because there's been absolutely no sacred cows here today. And I'm so grateful for that. Um, what I would really request in the last few minutes of, of this space, if you could um, all just open the chat space and we will save that before Sarah closes up this meeting. Um, and I want to ask you to put into the space, um, where do you want to go from here? Is there something more that you yourself can do in your own space? Is there something uh, you want us to take forward together? Because everybody's registered, we can get hold of you. Do you want to carry on the space further? In what way? Um, And maybe is there one thing that you can commit to when you leave the space? So please just open open the chat and feel free to share your thoughts, your ideas, um, and Sarah has just suggested if you'd like to stay in touch, please join the group's WhatsApp group, and we'll be sharing the audio and video. That's a really good step that we can continue this discussion, continue the conversation, knowing that um, we are on this journey together, and we we believe that this is this is God's project. It's not us. Um, and God is taking us as church into um, new and uncomfortable places, um, and we see throughout Scripture where God has challenged God's people to to let go of old habits and to begin to think differently and do things differently and transform, allow ourselves to be transformed in the renewing of our minds um, as we seek what is the perfect and good and life-giving will of God. Um, so, there's been a suggestion to, to join the WhatsApp group. Are there any other suggestions, any other spaces people would like us to open or you would like to open to suggest? Um, there's been a suggestion to please continue the discussion, but we must try and find data. We can try and raise some funding for that. Um any other suggestions? Feel free to please type into the chat, and um, and also type into the chat anything that you would like to say about this discussion, um, your feelings, your review, um, any thoughts. Please don't be uh, reserved about putting into this space. Um, what you would like to say. One thing I might say, and I'll put it into the, into the um, group, is that there were some questions, at least in my group, around, um, around resources and how do we know how to advise people? What if we want to take up um, this conversation further? Um, in other in other spaces where can we find resources and I want to share with you if you go into the chat the website of we will speak out um, the organization that I belong to we actually link with Thursdays in Black the World Council campaign and we link to a page which has literally hundreds of resources on it um, and I also would like to invite you on the We Will Speak Out page on the top right to go into the membership section. You don't have to become a member, but if you, put, if you fill in that form and you indicate what kind of association you would like to have, uh, whether it's partnership or you've got technical skills to offer or whatever it might be, um, please won't you um, just fill in that form And uh, because one of the the functions of We Will Speak Out is to connect us to each other. And so we will definitely continue with that work to connect with each other. But thank you. We move forward and um, we move forward together as we learn, as we teach, and as we allow God to transform us into the church that God has called us to be.